Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'll be jumping around a bit today, but we'll spend some some time in that chapter. Um, so we're looking at stepping stones in the stream of Living Streams Community Church. And it's really how you become an active member of our church body, uh, how you become an active participant in the biblical mission of the church. And last week we talked about taking a step in to the together experience of, of the church, and that was a step into worship, into relationships, and into Jesus. So we looked at the Bible and how that shows us examples and pictures of people getting together, sharing their life together because of their faith, and partnering together to grow God's kingdom. Now, speaking of last week, I committed a sin of omission during the message that I need to correct been bothering me ever since God showed it to me last week and I've made my peace with him so now I need to make sure you all know about it. So I was talking last week about how every family has a structure. You know, and you have a husband and and a wife, husband taking the lead, wife following in this relational dance as they together lead the family. And I liken that to the church where the church also has a structure where there's elders, men that are called to take care of the people in the church. Um, Well, I omitted something very important. Jesus. I omitted Jesus. Yeah, I did. Uh, See, the thing is, um, the elders are not the leaders of the church. Jesus is. I am not the leader of the church. Jesus is. He is the husband we all are the bride. Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. And I omitted that last week, and I wanted to make sure that you guys know that the elders of our church want to stay under the authority and leadership of the head shepherd, because he's the one in charge. He is the one who is truly holding all of us Together, So, just want to make sure that you know that and that you know that we know that. <laughs> now that we got that straight, let's pray as we jump in here. Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you for this time and we have the, to soak up your word today. And we're thankful that Jesus is the head of this place, that he is our leader. Um, we uh, look to him in our life to take steps of where we go and who we talk to and what we say and what we do. And 
today, Lord, as we as we look at this step of following Jesus, um, pray that you'd reveal to us as we're working through it what our next step is uh, in this journey that we're on with you. Pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, and then I don't omit Jesus today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, the next stepping stone in the stream at Living Streams is a step up. A step up in following Jesus. So, the church has been given a mandate by its leader, Jesus. Yeah, got it. So, that mandate is to make disciples of all nations. That's what we're supposed to do. So, that means that we introduce people to him, that we give them an opportunity to to put their uh, trust in him and, and to follow him. And then when they do that, we give them uh, uh, an example of how to follow him. An example of how to do life with him. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now in that verse, the word out is a very important word. It is not we are working for our salvation... Jesus has already done all the work for our salvation and we are trusting in him and his work for that life, for that saving faith. And so once we have that relationship with him, then he calls us to know him better. He calls us to grow in our relationship with him by following his example for life. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? We step up. We step up. First place we want to step up is step up in our practice. So if we're going to follow him, we're going to follow Jesus, we need to know what he said. We need to know how he worked. We need to know his character and his life. We need to understand that so we can follow his example. Now that may sound kind of daunting in a way. I mean, he is the son of God. You know, how, how can I do anything in my life that's going to hold a candle to his life? Well, we also need to remember that Jesus was not only the Son of God, he was also called the Son of Man. He was fully God and he was fully man. And so there are things that he did, practices that he had in his life that um, he did out of his humanity that we can follow and do in our lives and grow in our relationship with him. Now, generally, there's six areas of these practices. Altogether, we, we kind of talk about the, the stream. So getting in the flow of the stream. And that's how we follow Jesus. So I'm going to go through that. Uh, the first, first thing we do is we seek God's presence. We seek his presence through prayer. And then we do that publicly when we all get together. And we do that privately in our prayer closets. And if we look at Jesus, we could definitely say he is a man of prayer. He's a man of prayer. He had this habit of going away all by himself, a solitary place, just to be with his heavenly father, to converse with him. Um, when the disciples uh, asked him uh, to teach them something, they asked him one thing, teach us to pray. I mean, you know, they could have asked a lot of things, couldn't they? I mean, teach us how to multiply those uh, bread and fish. You know, that'd be pretty handy. Uh, no, no, it was teach us how to pray. 
So that tells us something about Jesus' prayer life. He was a man of prayer. So as his followers, we want to be people of prayer. We want prayer to be one of these fundamental practices of of our life with God. And there's a lot to learn there. There's praying in secret. There's praying on the way. There's praying with faith. There's praying the word. There's praying with persistence. There's praying for others. There's praying over others. There's praying as the default to our life when it, when it gets crazy. All these things we can learn, and it's all part of seeking God's presence through prayer. And that's what the first thing we do to follow Jesus. The second thing we do is we want to touch our society. Jesus was a man of mercy who calls his followers to be merciful as God is merciful. And so his ministry, if you look at it, was full of, of hands-on help to the poor. I mean, he was working with the poor, the hungry, uh, the down and out, um, people who were homeless, people who were sick. I mean, those are the people he was working with. And so we're going to follow his example for living. We're going to find ways to get down into the trenches uh, with people who are in need, people who need help. Going to Honduras uh, with the Colbys would be a great way to get in the trenches of this stream. And when we look at our society, you know, these problems, they're huge problems. I mean, they're God-sized problems. They're called justice problems. You know, people who are just overwhelmed with, uh, with life and just in need. And that, so the need's big, but God is bigger. And he uses his church to help solve that problem, help work on that problem. And so if we, as a church, all together, and as small groups, and as individuals, if we... Uh, follow Christ in this practice of touching our society, of being mercy conduits, then we'll change some things. We'll make some people's lives better. And we, when we do that, we, we do that without, you know, do they just, we don't ask questions, do they deserve it? You know, are they going to earn this? No, no, that's not what our, how our God is. God, God says to us, uh, freely I have given to you, now you freely give. The cost is on us. And it flows through us to other people. That's mercy. That's the gospel. So we pay the price so other people can live. It's beautiful when we do it together. Third practice is reading the scriptures. Another core activity that you're very familiar with of every Christ follower. You think about Jesus. Jesus knew the word inside and out. He was a man of God's word. So to follow him, we want to be people of God's word. And, you know, we think about this treasure that we have been given it is this is our our guidebook you know for living it's got um it's it's our it's our way to hear god's voice you know to hear him speak to us um it's it's there to encourage us to nourish us to challenge us correct us uh to send us all of those things so almost every week we we encourage you to be in the word you know, to read your Bible, to study, meditate, and memorize uh, the Word of God. Remember what Jesus said uh, to Satan when he was being tempted. And he said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what does that mean? That means that this book is the most important book you own. The most important book. So we want to read the Scriptures. We also want to exercise the spiritual disciplines. Jesus practiced a lot of discipline in his life. Listen to this list. Solitude, silence, fasting, prayer, study, fellowship, serving, celebration, 
simplicity, giving, sacrifice, worship, and submission. And there's a few more, I'm sure, that we could come up with. Um, So all of those, we call those spiritual disciplines. And there's nothing special about them unless God is at the center of why we're doing them and the Spirit is infusing power to make them useful uh, for the kingdom of God. And so you think about a marathon runner. You know, if you're going to run a marathon, which I think there's one coming up in Indianapolis, the monumental marathon in November, I, I think that you might be able to still sign up for that. You know, like if we just wanted to go for that. But I, I wouldn't suggest that you do unless you've already been running by this point, you know, in your life. You know, we don't just go from the couch to the marathon. There's training involved. And it's the same thing when it comes to our, our spiritual practices. If we can look at these spiritual disciplines as a workout list that God gets us in shape to go out and work in the kingdom of God. So if we just, you know, if we're just couch potatoes in a sense when it comes to the spiritual disciplines, um, our pursuit of Christ isn't going to be what it could be and our impact for the kingdom of God isn't going to be very, very much. You know, you know Jesus was the holiest person that ever lived. Holiest person, uh, you know, hands down, you know, we don't, we, we don't even debate it. Holiest person. And we're supposed to be coming, you know, growing to be like him. <clears throat> so I was thinking, if, if I send you home today and I say, hey, go in the bathroom, look in the mirror, and use one word to describe what you see, I would imagine 0% of us would come up with the word holy. And I was thinking possibly 0% of us would even want to come up with the word holy. But see, as a Christ follower, there's a pursuit of a holy life, a holiness in our heart, something that comes from the inside of us to the outside of us. When the inside of us is in sync with things on the outside of us, then life is working and we're living like Christ. But here's the problem when it comes to you know, trying to uh, live a holy life. We can't change our holiness. That comes from our heart. And God is the one who changes our heart. And these spiritual disciplines are the thing that put us in the place for God to do that. More on that in, in just a minute. So the next practice is abiding in the Spirit. In John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, Remain in me, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. (laughs) So the Holy Spirit was sent to us to help us in our life with God. And if it weren't for him, we wouldn't have a heart for, for God. We wouldn't have any fire or passion for God, any hunger for him. If it weren't for him stirring up on the inside of us, we wouldn't be here today. But he's there to help us live our life with God. And you look at Jesus. Jesus was a man of the Spirit. And so as his followers, we want to be people who are people of the Spirit. Uh, And the Spirit infuses all of these activities that we're talking about, all of these practices, and he makes them useful in our life, makes them effective to change us and to help us work in the kingdom. So we need to abide in the Spirit. 
Um, that means we need to be to know how to be filled by Him, to learn how to trust the Holy Spirit, uh, to learn how to follow His leading in our life, um, to experience His presence through the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit, to live our life like a Christian should live it. You know, Jesus said, "Whoever believes in Me, the streams of living water will flow from within." And they're ta- talking about um, the Holy Spirit. He's been given to us. He's a mysterious part of our faith, but he is real. He is inside every believer, and he makes all the difference in your life as a disciple. Then finally, we step up to mirror Jesus' life, to show Jesus' life to other people. So Jesus being fully God and fully man, there was no, no difference between his secular life and his sacred life. You know, it was all kind of one. Wherever he went, it was all one. Well, as we follow him, as we become more like him, as this reconstruction project goes on in our hearts, as as we walk this earth, it will be the same for us. We will have this witness to other people that Jesus is real and really God. And we begin to live our life like Jesus was living it instead of us. Now think about that. What would that do in your life? If Jesus was living it instead of you, what would that do in your marriage? If Jesus was, if it was Jesus instead of you, what would it do in your family? What would it do at work or in the neighborhood? What would it do with your friends? What would it do in your finances? I mean, it would be amazing what what happened. So this is all our witness and it's a process. We're growing to be like him. We're showing people what Jesus looks like. And so when we do that, what happens is our hands start doing things that He would do. Our feet start going places where He would go. And our mouth would say things that He would say. That's what we're talking about. You bring all these together, all those six, get in the flow of the stream, and over time, you end up being this light-shining, salt-shaking, world-changing follower of Christ that we're looking for. It's awesome things. So we step up in these practices. When we do that, we in turn step up our transformation. We work at the practices and God works in our hearts. As we do the things that Jesus did, over time we find out we're changing. And we don't notice the change also, also all that much because what happens in our life is we only notice when we mess up. You know, we only, we only notice when we don't live up to what we wanted to or we, you know, we, we, when we fail. That's the stuff we remember. I mean, it's just like two weeks ago when I woke up in the morning and I couldn't walk because my back hurt. I mean, and I'll tell you, I was just one big walking painful back. I didn't, I didn't have any other parts of my body. You know, it was just all here. That's how it is in our life. All we do is we see the problem. We see the pain. We don't see the good. We don't see that. But if we would take a look, every now and then the Spirit will show us. You say, you know what? I'm not so angry anymore. It's been replaced with a humility. Well, I'm not worrying so much. I got this peace. I'm, I'm not as afraid as I used to be. I've got this faith. This, this process is called our sanctification. It doesn't have anything to do with our salvation, except that it comes after it. But it has everything to do with your soul satisfaction 
as a Christian. So I wondered, how satisfied are you in your life with God? How satisfied are you with your prayer life? With your witness for God? With your walking by faith? Or your spiritual fruit? How satisfied? Now I think many of us um, would say that we're not as satisfied as we could be. We need more transformation. This past Christmas, my brother-in-law gave us, blessed us, with an electric meat smoker. I didn't even know those things existed. And so for the last year, we've been learning how to smoke meat. You know, so ribs and pork shoulder and uh, chicken and sausages, you know, all this stuff. Different kind of wood chips. What really comes down to two things. Critical to get a good smoke is time and temperature. Time and temperature. And so when you, when you start smoking meat, the first thing you plug this thing in, you, you set the temperature and you let it warm up. It has to get up to temperature. And, and then, so while that's coming up to speed, you go in the kitchen and you, and you prep the meat, you rub some stuff on it, maybe inject some flavors into it, you know, just, you just get it ready. Then you come, you put that in the smoker, close it up for a really long time. <laughs> and in the bottom of that thing, there's a place to put some wood chips, and then that kind of ignites, the smoke fills that thing up, and the, and the meat soaks up the flavor of the smoke. And the thing is, when you're looking at all the instructions on the internet about how to smoke meat, there's, you know, it, it, there's, no, there's all kinds of different ways to do it. Uh, but, the, but the thing is, everybody goes, it's done when it reaches this temperature, the meat. And so when we first started doing it, we would open the smoker up, put the meat thermometer in there and wait for it, you know, see where it was, see if it's done. But while we're doing that, we're letting all the heat out of the smoker and all the smoke <laughs> And so I bought this cool meat thermometer. It's got this cable on it that you can put into the meat before you put it in there. And you can look at the temperature without opening it up. So the temperature stays high. And then we're smoking meat for the right amount of time at the right temperature. But it still takes a long time. So what does this have to do with transformation? Well, your transformation actually has some similarities to that. It, it takes Time for you to soak up the flavor of God in your life through these disciplines. It takes time as you marinate in God's word for you to begin to think differently than you used to. It takes time for you to be uh, aware of when God is speaking to you and when he's sending you or when he wants you to do something. All of that takes Time And the longer you do this, the longer you put yourself in the smoker of spiritual disciplines, the more transformation is going to take place. But see, the trouble is, we, in a sense, keep opening the smoker and letting all the smoke and the heat out when we neglect these spiritual practices in our life. And so the, our temperature goes down when we miss church or we miss small group or we're a really busy week and all we're doing is praying on the way to work when we're going to work. 
You know, so, so it, it just happens this is the way that, that, that life goes. And so what we've got to do is we've got to step up in the practices which will step up our transformation. What happens when, what happens when we step down for whatever, for whatever reason, we step down from the practices instead of stepping up, you know what we need to do? Step up again. Start again. Put ourselves back in the smoker. Close it up. Marinate. Soak up the spirit. Do that at the right temperature for a really long time, and we will look and act more like our Savior. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, some of my favorite words that came out of Peter. You know, he's got a lot of words that, you know, we aren't so excited about, but um, these are absolutely tremendous. So here's uh, verses 3, uh, to, to begin, 3 and 4. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So we can hear in those verses that we have this relationship with God by faith in his son Jesus. And through that relationship, we've received the Holy Spirit, which is everything we need to live a godly life. And because of this relationship, we've got these promises, these amazing promises of life, eternal life, and abundant life. And it's through them that it's possible to share in the divine nature, to live differently than the world around us. Peter continues in verse 5. He says, In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and more excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Whoa. That's a pretty long list of things that i got to add to my already busy life. Well, I want to say that the way that you add those is not by working on them. It is not by working hard to be a better person. It is by getting in the flow of the stream of the spiritual disciplines and putting yourself in the smoker and letting God, His Spirit, change you while you do that. And as you do that, you become more like what Peter's talking about. Because see, all the lasting gains that we have in our life with Christ and becoming like Christ happen because God does it in us, not from our effort working hard to be this person. It's life in the Spirit. The streams of living water flowing from within us. And it's fundamental. That's a fundamental idea for why we step up and how we step up. Where we put our efforts in this life with God. Peter goes on to talk about the benefits and the dangers in verses eight. In verse eight, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their from their old sins. So the more you follow Jesus, the more you uh, are transformed into His likeness, the more knowledge you have of Him. 
of Christ. And that makes you productive and useful in the kingdom of God. A believer that isn't following Jesus has forgotten why they were saved in the first place. That their salvation has a purpose. That purpose is sanctification, to bring God glory in the world. That's why we were saved. And not developing like that, you know, disciples go out and they drift and then do damage. Damage to the name of Jesus, damage to our witness and to the church. Peter finishes with verses 10 and verses 10 and 11 with encouragement. He says, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. And then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I like to say that works mean nothing before the cross and everything after. Nothing before the cross and everything after. Peter's saying work hard not to earn your salvation, but to prove that you have it. Why is that important? Because God has given us this responsibility to tell people about Jesus. To point people to him. It's a, it's a, a privilege that we have in the world uh, to be his witnesses to others. And because of that, that puts believers squarely in the middle of a spiritual war. And so Peter's saying, look, if we'll step up, if we'll step up and add these things to our faith, if we'll transform into this kind of a person, we will never fall away. Which is exactly what the enemy wants you to do. He can't take our life, he can't have us, but he would love it if we would trip up and fall down. If we would be ineffective and unproductive in the kingdom of God. So Peter says, step up. That's how we can fight in this spiritual battle. Step up and be transformed so that we will never fall away. And one other place to step up, and that's in our multiplication. Our multiplication. See, a disciple is not complete until they become a discipler. As it was Jesus' intent that we not just receive everything from him and keep it to ourselves, but that we would be conduits of, of a re- relationship with him and that we would give it away, that we would share our faith. It was the core strategy he had to launch the church. Jesus wasn't thinking addition. He was thinking multiplication. So you think about three years of public ministry, he took 12 nobody men, and he showed them how to do ministry. He taught them about God, his, their, their Heavenly Father. He taught them about the kingdom of God and how to be a part of it. And he showed them how to go out and love people. And then he sent them out and watched them do the work. And then they came back and they had a huddle and he said, hey, do this, do this, do this, this would be better. And then he sent them out to go and make disciples of all nations. Now that's not addition thinking when it comes to growing the kingdom. That's multiplication. A life that's following him, that's following Christ, includes passing on to others what we know about him. And then leading them to do the same. That's multiplication. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
So Paul calls Timothy his child. Somebody that he's raised up in the faith. Somebody that he has discipled. Somebody that he has shared his life with God with. And what does he tell him to do? He says, pass on what you've heard from me to other men who will pass it on to others. That's multiplication. It's multiplication. There's an expectation as a Christian that a disciple becomes a discipler. Listen to the end of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 17. This is kind of long, but this is, this is amazing. Um, Paul's closing his letter here. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are... You may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, I'll have it also read uh, in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that, you, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, you can't help but notice the list of names in that passage of Scripture. It's full of names. There's ten names. Ten people that Paul encountered as he was doing his work. And he discipled in some way. He shared his life with God with them in some way. So these were all people who were once lost, who became believers, who he was leading, working for the kingdom of God. Who knows how many people those ten shared what they had with. That's multiplication. As you think about your life and the mathematics of the kingdom, think about how long you've been following Christ. If you go back and make a list of names of people that you have shared your life with God with, that you have spent time showing them how to follow Christ. And how many of those people in turn shared that with others? That's what we're looking for. It's the mindset that Jesus wants us to have to reproduce disciples that reproduce. And that's going to take us stepping up in our multiplication efforts. It happens when we get together. It happens over breakfast. It happens in our small groups. It happens when we set aside time to invest in somebody else sharing our life with God. And that's all you do. You just tell them, hey, this is how Jesus has worked in my life in the past. As you're sharing life, stuff's going to come up and you're going to say, you know, this has happened to me. 
Maybe this is what's going on for you. And then you're sharing with them, hey, this is what's going on with me in Christ. This is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm having victory. And then this is where I might be going. And this is where I think the Lord is leading. And you're praying for each other. And you're serving each other. You're worshiping uh, together. You're reading the Bible. You're applying that to your life. Do you have any relationships like that? Any place where you're investing that kind of time and attention? Man, if you're doing that, you are doing multiplication arithmetic. So, Bible, prayer, mercy, holiness, spirit, witness. All of these things are how we define discipleship at Living Streams. And so we're going to encourage you to step up in those things as we follow Jesus. It's where we need to step up. So I want you to think about a list of names. Maybe from the past, but think about names that you know right now in the present. People that you're sitting with right now. And think about who I can share my life with God with. Who should I start meeting with? Who should I start discipling? While you're thinking about that, I want you to watch this video. There's a big invitation there. Think about those names in your life that are around you, that you're doing life with. Who can you share that? Who can you share with your life with God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, boy, we just rejoice in the life that we have been called to live. I mean, there's a a calling to share you with other people. And Lord, sometimes, I know, we we don't feel like we're qualified to do that. Because we aren't getting it right or we aren't living this way or that. But Lord, that's why we need the gospel every day. It's not about living right. It's about living in you. And so, Father, help us to cling to that today as we think about the people you've put around us. Uh, Maybe we need to know you better. Maybe we need to know you more. And we need to ask for someone to step into our life and, and guide us and lead us. Or maybe, Lord, today you're calling. You're calling us to take a step towards somebody today and say, hey, would you want to get together? Lord, just reveal that to us today as we think about following you and how we do that, how we share you with others. Help us to be a multiplying church, Lord. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.